Today, we are kicking off a week of prayer and fasting. Um, uh, so hopefully you came to church feeling hungry. I know that it's the week of prayer and fasting because I, I skip breakfast almost every day. And every Sunday I preach hungry. Like that's just my rhythm. It's how I do my normal Sunday you know, practices. And yet for some reason this morning at 6 a.m. while I'm up praying and sort of going through my notes, I was starving. And I was like, that's because it's the week of prayer and fasting. Now, some of you uh, have been a part of the church for a while. Um, and have been a part of some of our previous weeks of fasting. Um, but many of you are new to our community, and likely many of us that call Vancouver Vineyard home, no matter how long we've been a part of this church, would still feel somewhat new to the idea of fasting. So this morning, I just want to take my, my sermon time and really explain the practice of fasting and cast a vision for why I think you should join us this week. Fasting has been part of my life with Jesus since I was a teenager, but I would not say that I am particularly good at it. To be honest, I have probably failed more fasts than I've finished. Is anybody else with me on that? Like, you try? It's the try that counts. My introduction to fasting was actually a painful experience. As a teenager... I was zealous for God to move in my school and in my city. And so my good friend Justin, who normally sits right over there, he's downstairs with the kids right now, um, he was organizing an outreach. He was getting all of these youth groups together in our area, and we were going to have this big outreach and invite all of our friends to it. It was going to be awesome. And he called all of us who were going to be sort of leaders with him to spend the week leading up to it fasting together. Now, I didn't know how to fast. I didn't have any kind of theology for it, but I am super competitive. <laughs> so when my friend says, I bet you can't do it, I said, oh, I bet I can. And so I, I stepped up to the challenge. I didn't have a good theology. I didn't have any good wise practices, no mentorship around it. I just woke up on day one and said, I guess I'm not eating. And it was hard. I was bored and hungry and had terrible breath and it was in a bad mood, but I was determined. And so then on day two, I thought I was going to die. By day three, I was waning. I had no faith left. I called it quits on the evening of the third day. And I was in my room and I just, Jesus, you understand. I'm just human. I need food. And... Well, I, have, I had a joke. Justin's not here. It would have been a better joke. Can I should say it anyway? And so it still gets under my skin that Justin finished that whole fast. And look at him. He's just sitting right there. He's wearing a mask. He's so smug. He should come up here and preach this thing anyway. I'm glad he wasn't here to hear that, actually. Now, this introduction to fasting was not glorious. It was painful. It hurt. It touched a nerve. It was hard. I loved Jesus with my whole life, but after this experience, I was pretty sure that he could have my heart, he could have my mind, he could have my emotions, he could have my spirit, but my body, this just wasn't going to work. And I'm sure I'm not the only person here who has had some experience like that. Fasting is a practice that hurts, and I think is therefore left untried in the body of Christ. And I'm convinced that God's people miss out on so much of what God wants to give us because we've yet to meaningfully engage with this practice. As, as Americans, this idea of fasting is strange to us. 
Like, we live here in Vancouver, Washington. We live next to one of the best food cities in our country, if not in the world. There are endless opportunities to eat some of the best versions of whatever food you want at any time. Craft drinks, locally sourced ingredients. Is it just me or is pork belly in everything these days? Does, has anybody heard that Grasa is coming to the Vancouver waterfront? I'm so excited for that. What we don't realize is that the abundance that we live with that is available to us all to enjoy actually is doing something to our hearts. The sin of gluttony and drunkenness is a sin that we don't talk about very often. But many of us live our lives in a state of, of what the rest of the world throughout history would consider to be a perpetual feast, indulging rather than refraining. And the truth is, that this way of living is not neutral. It actually does something to our hearts. It dulls us down spiritually. And I believe that the best way to fight against that dullness is through the practice of fasting, through actually a lifestyle of fasting. So with our time this morning, I want to spend some time talking about what fasting is, what fasting does, and how to start. Does that sound good? Um, real quick, I just want to say I, I pulled a lot of this information from some of my favorite resources. Uh, John Mark Comer and our friends down at Bridge, Bridgetown Church, uh, they have put together fantastic teachings on this at practicingtheway.org. Um, also, John Piper's book, A Hunger for God, is a fantastic read. Mike Bickle's uh, The Rewards of Fasting is one of my favorite uh, books on this subject, and then of course the old reliable Richard Foster celebration of discipline, and um, and then finally God's chosen fast by Arthur Wallace. If you're interested in learning anything about fasting, these are fantastic resources to start with. So the first question: What is fasting? Fasting, at its most basic definition, is simply abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. Let's say that again: fasting at its most basic definition, is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. Now, as simple as that definition is, for us, fasting is not very well understood. So before we talk about what fasting does look like, let's consider first what it doesn't look like. Misconception number one that is really common in our culture today is that fasting is just giving something up. Around this time each year, especially as we're approaching Lent, uh, you, you'll hear people share that they're about to give something up for the 40 days of Lent. So they'll say, I'm giving up chocolate, or I'm giving up Netflix, or I'm giving up social media, or I'm giving up cream in my coffee. And all of these things are great, and they will probably have some level of uh, you know, benefit for you physically, mentally, even spiritually. But this is not what the Bible talks about when it says fasting. This is another spiritual practice that's called abstaining. Which brings us to misconception number two, that fasting is just a form of dieting. Recently, fasting has become uh, really in vogue and popular as it's been connected to all kinds of diets. So you, you, know, you fast to kick in ketosis, um, or you do intermittent, intermittent fasting for weight loss, or doing a week-long cleanse with juice, or maybe you're doing Whole30, which kind of feels like a form of fasting. And again, this might be totally healthy. You may see results, but it's not what Jesus is talking about when he talks about fasting. Jesus didn't go out into the wilderness for 40 days for a cleanse or because he was getting ready for swimsuit season. <laughs> fasting means you don't eat food. 
when the Bible talks about fasting, it literally means don't eat food. Every fast that we read about in the Bible is giving up food. Sometimes it, inc it includes going beyond food to giving up water too, which is an absolute fast, which is something you should not do unless you ha have uh, sort of a doctor's permission to do. Um, or it can be a little bit more lenient at times, uh, allowing for just the barest of essentials, what we call a Daniel fast. But even with the Daniel fast, keep in mind that it was a 21-day fast full of intense spiritual warfare, and that Daniel was in his 80s. See, in the book of Daniel, we often think that the Daniel fast is the first chapter where he's like, I'll just eat like vegetables and fruit. That's a diet. We're talking about Daniel 10, where he's like, I'm going to warfare against the prince of Persia. I'm in my 80s, and I'm going to eat the barest of essentials to just get by. That's a Daniel fast. Fasting is the practice that most aggressively confronts our flesh. And I believe that when we minimize the method, we tend to water down its effectiveness. Now, I know that in this room, there are lots of people, there are probably actually a few people who physically cannot fast. Like you have a special condition that keeps you from being able to give up food. Um, maybe you're a nursing mom and it's a real, you're just not able to do it right now or you're pregnant or something like that. That's totally understandable. But most of us, are capable of going without food for a while. I remember when I was a youth leader and uh, we were doing a corporate fast with our youth group and I was inviting all of these kids. It was just gonna be like a 30 hour thing. And this kid came up to me and he said, Marshall, you don't understand. I have this condition where I get really hungry when I don't eat. <laughs> and we can laugh at that, but you know what that, that's what we're all thinking, right? Hunger is not incidental to fasting. It's actually the point. And living in the United States, we don't really have much of a grid for what it's like to be hungry. So when we skip a meal or two, we feel like we're dying. And I can assure you, you're not dying. In fact, this week, in, as part of my study, I was reading a book by uh, Paul Youngi Cho. He's a pastor in Korea, leads this huge, huge church. It was written back in like the 80s or 90s, and he's talking about what to expect when you're fasting. And he, he's you know, writing to a Korean audience, obviously. And so he says, for the first day of your fast, you won't even notice that you're fasting. For the second day of your fast, you'll start to feel a little bit hungry. <laughs> by, the, by day four or five, that's when you'll really say, oh, I haven't eaten in a while. And you might start to feel a little bit weak, but that's okay. And you should never fast for any less than three days' time. And I was like, excuse me? Like, you are not writing to Americans. We do not go five hours without noticing that we are hungry. Or at least I That might just be me. One of the valuable side effects of fasting for me, is just the reminder that it's okay to not, or to be uncomfortable. It won't kill me to deny myself. And so while practicing other forms of self-denial are valuable, like fasting TV or media or coffee or sugar or something like that, I believe it limits the power of what we are trying to accomplish in our fast. In all the books on that I've read on fasting, I, wasn't, I didn't find a single chapter on the social media fast. And giving up media and other distractions are really important things to include in your fast. But, we, but God is inviting us to give up our essentials and our distractions. That's what fasting is. It's about setting, setting aside food for a time to make room in your heart for, to hunger for God. Might be a meal or two. Might be a day or a week or a month. God honor, honors our sacrifice when it comes from a heart 
that hungers for him more than we hunger for the things of this world. Have I lost you guys, or are you guys still with me? Okay, so that's what fasting is. Now let's talk about what fasting does. Let's talk about why we do it. What is the purpose? First, what does fasting do for you personally? As you take a step to practice it this week, what can you expect to happen in your heart? The first thing is that fasting reveals our dependence upon other things. Many of us have go-tos for comfort. It might be food, it might be wine, it might be ice cream or social media or movies, it might be pornography, it might be marijuana, or a hundred other things. These crutches that are in our lives, for better or for worse. And we have these things that we fall back, back on when, you know, just to soothe the tension at the end of the day. So when you get home from work after a long day, what is the thing that you reach for to take the edge off? Or maybe it's after the kids are finally in bed. What do you run to for comfort? In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In contrast to taking the edge off, God actually calls us instead to enter into the presence of God to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit, to receive our comfort and everything that we need from him. It's a contrast in where our dependence lies. And our dependence may not be even on bad things. It might be on good things. Sometimes it's the legitimate gifts that God gives us to enjoy that, we, that, that end up taking his place in our hearts. In A Hunger for God, John Piper writes this. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble, dribble of triviality that we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. The pleasures of life and the desires for other things, these are not evil in themselves. These are not vices. These are gifts of God. They are your basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing and shopping and exercising and collecting and talking. And all of them can become deadly substitutes for God. In our hearts, God is easily exchanged for his gifts. And fasting is one of the core ways that we restore sort of a proper perspective so that we might rightly value the giver rather than the gift. And again, I want to be clear that this, this list of things that we read here in, in John Piper's quote, these are not evil things. These are not things that, that we need to all write off and run away from for the rest of our lives. They're things that easily dull our spirits when they become the end to which we are pursuing. Number two, fasting increases intimacy with God. This is my favorite. This is like the best effect right here, in my opinion. This is worth all of the fasting is this 
right here. In fasting and praying, we not only starve the flesh, but we feast on the spirit. That fasting is about learning to hunger for God, more of God's presence, more of his wisdom, more of his power in our lives. And you see, I don't fast because I'm already hungry for the presence of Jesus. That's my wife, and that's why she's better than me. I need to fast because I'm not hungry for Jesus. I need to fast because my heart doesn't long for him like it should. I never wait until I want to fast because I will never want to fast. I fast so that I can want God. Somehow, fasting is a path that God has given us that fast-tracks us into his presence. It creates space for deeper intimacy with the Father. When you fast, you may not experience this rapturous or unspeakable joy in God's presence. You might not get caught up into the throne room where you're interacting with angels or anything like that. Although, maybe you will. Like, that could happen too. But, you'll, but more often than not, you'll simply experience a tenderness in your soul. His word feels a little weightier. His voice a little bit sweeter. You're a little bit more open to him. And God responds to such acts of faith. Does anybody know what I mean when I talk about like the day three tingles? <laughs> That's what I call it. It's like where you're like in day three or four of a fast and all of a sudden just like, there's this, there's this real tenderness in your heart towards the things of God. You just can't explain it. You don't experience it except in that moment of hunger. For me, I, I often don't experience much of the benefits of fasting while I'm fasting. It's usually after I break the fast that I start to reap the rewards. And the reward of fasting is God himself. In fasting, we are, we are embodying the words of the psalmist. Psalm 27.4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or to meditate in his temple. Or again in Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or my favorite psalm to meditate on, while on in a time of fasting, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. These are the kind of passages that I read when I'm fasting. Because in fasting, what I am doing is I am actually teaching my body to do the thing that I'm reading. I'm, I'm trying to learn how to relate to the words of the psalmist. And it's hard to relate to the psalmist who says, I thirst for you, my flesh faints for you, when as Americans we have every comfort available to us all the time to stuff down any of those uneasy longings. I'm making my flesh faint for God. Because in this time, because that's the it's the deepest desire that's in my heart, even if it's not the strongest desire of my flesh. There is something special that happens when we fast, where we're taken out of the normal routines and rhythms, and it gets us up somehow beyond sort of the plane that we normally live our lives, up to where God is. Fasting somehow takes us into deeper intimacy with the Father. Number three. 
Fasting clothes us with the power of God. There's an interesting biblical principle that God's power comes most prominently through our weakness. That when we are weak, that's when he shows himself most strong. So consider Jesus, the son of God, who contained the fullness of the resources of heaven in his body, in his soul, in his spirit, in his mind at all times, right here on earth. And he is about to face off with Satan in the wilderness. And before his showdown with the Satan, what does Jesus do? He spends 40 days fasting. In Luke 4, we read, And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. (laughs) Which is quite the understatement of the Bible. Now, allow me to suggest that Jesus didn't fast so that he would be weak enough to actually be tempted. Because if he was at full strength, there's no way the enemy could tempt him. No, rather, Jesus, as a human being, needed to be clothed with power to resist the temptation of the enemy. And he knew that the power came through fasting. Fasting is embracing weakness. It's not just about being hungry, it's about being weak. And in our weakness, that is where God's power shows up in significant ways. We read this in 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what about corporate fasting? Why are we doing this together? Why are we about to spend a week, you know, getting together night after night to pray and fast together? The short answer is that when we do this together, the Spirit of God somehow, for some reason, multiplies the benefits. Amen? Now, there's like an increase uh, of power to choose God over the other things that crowd our attention. There's a sweet intimacy with God that we experience. And, and then, and, but in addition to that, there's a sweet intimacy we experience with each other, where we're sort of in solidarity, pursuing God with one heart and one mind. And the power of God is released through God's people gathering to fast. And we see this throughout the Bible. Over and over again, passages uh, calling the people of God to gather together for a time of fasting and, and prayer. There are the regular fasts, like Yom Kippur, where it's meant to be a calendar rhythm. Every, everybody uh, in Israel is supposed to fast. Um, there are national fasts to repent and confess sin, like in the book of Joel, or what we read about in the book of Jonah. There uh, is fasting for consecration, like, like setting apart a time where we're saying, okay, God, I am set apart for you. There is fasting for power before battles. There's fasting to mourn with those who mourn. There's fasting for political breakthrough, like what we see in the book of Esther. We could go on and on. And in Acts chapter 13, there is this powerful moment right before the Apostle Paul is sent out on a mission, missionary journey that will literally change the world, the course of human history. We read this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menane, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So what we see here, it seems as though these men of God routinely fasted and worshiped and prayed together. 
And in the midst of one of these gatherings of fasting and prayer, the Holy Spirit commissions Paul and Barnabas for their mission to go on their next journey. What do you think? Like, what might the Holy Spirit want to do right here in Vancouver Vineyard Church as we carve out space to fast and pray and worship? How many calls of God are hanging in the air above us, waiting to be laid hold of, but we haven't got there yet because we haven't, been, we haven't actually set aside this time to pray and fast? There is power, power from God that can only be accessed through prayer and fasting. Jesus himself said so. Right after he and his disciples were up on the mountain of, uh, at the transfiguration, they come back down, and there's a man whose child is suffering from, from demonization. But the disciples couldn't cast it out. So when the, the child's father sees Jesus, he was so relieved. Finally, somebody who has a little bit of power can take care of this thing. And after Jesus cast this demon out, the disciples ask him, why weren't we able to cast this thing out? And Jesus responds with, this kind can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. And I wonder, I wonder how many issues in our world today, how many spirits this ch- the church is powerless to address because we haven't accessed God's power in this way. Every great move of God throughout history has been preceded by seasons of prayer and fasting in the church. Now, here at Vancouver Vineyard Church, this is our vision that we would be a church that is empowered by the Spirit for a purpose, to practice and proclaim the kingdom of God for the renewal of our city. That is who we are. That is what God has called us to go after. We need the power of God to pursue the mission of God. And over the last year or so, we've seen the great reshuffling of the deck, churches that have imploded, churches that have, have crashed and burned, churches that have just simply... <sighs> run out of energy and steam. We've seen in our own church the waves of, of challenges that we've had to deal with. You know, it's been really, really difficult. And I know that there are many people here who are brand new to this community, and we are so glad that you are here. But if we are honest, as wonderful as it is to see a whole bunch of new people join our church, we still have yet to see the harvest that God has put in our hearts to cry out for of people who don't know Jesus coming to faith in him for the first time. That is what we long for. And if you are new to this community, I want to say that God has brought you here for a purpose, to join us as we pursue the mission God has given us, to fast and pray for the renewal of our city. So I want to encourage you to come this week to pray with us for a move of God in our church and in our neighborhoods and in our families and for the students that are across the street at Hudson's Bay High School. Take a day or two or three or seven to fast with us, to set aside food and media and to expect that God will show up in your life and in our church. Which brings us to finally the third thing, how to fast I want to end with some real practical tips on how to do this. As I said earlier, I have failed more fast than I've finished, probably. And most of the times when i failed, it's been related to poor preparation uh, of my body or a lack of understanding of what was actually happening in my body. I remember um, I was a zealous 20-year-old, and I had this sudden urge to do my first ever extended fast. So being young and stupid, I committed 
publicly, <laughs> of course publicly, to doing a 40-day water-only fast. I'm sure you can guess how this ends. And so the day before I started the fast, I thought, 40 days is a long time. I need to stock up on calories. So I ate as many calories as I possibly could, mostly pizza. Uh, and, and on day one, I ended up with this horrible headache. Um, and it just kept getting worse and worse. I just felt miserable. By day five or six, the spirit led me to start drinking juices. Um, and each day, those juices got thicker <laughs> and thicker to where I was practically drinking tomato soup. Um, and amazingly, after, at, after day 10, God finally said, I release you, Marshall. You've accomplished everything I really wanted from you anyway. <laughs> and I mean, isn't that how it goes? We often, you know, sort of explain away our weakness with ridiculous spiritual language. The reality was that I had no idea what I was doing. And I was a fool to take on so much at once. Now, that is not to diminish the beauty of the desire that was in my heart. I think that God really delighted in my heart's desire to fast and pray and, and, and go for it. Even when you fail, there is grace. But learning to fast takes training, like running a marathon. You don't start by running the Portland Marathon. You start by running a single mile and then working your way up from there. Now, I know a few people in this room right now who have done 40-day fasts. Um, I'm impressed by that. That's incredible. I've never done one of those. Um, but most of us are total beginners, and that's okay. It's not about accomplishing a number. It's about growing in our hunger for God. So start where you're at. So to start off, you need to prepare for the fast by deciding how long you are going to fast. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in this, and then let a few people know about your commitment. And that's not a violation of Matthew chapter 6 about doing it in secret. It's that really, as a community, we are here to support each other as we are growing in this discipline. So it's okay to share with a few people what you're, what you're sort of hoping to, to do. And then in the days leading up to the fast, uh, start you know, by, to scale your, your meals down a little bit, smaller portions, drink plenty of water, and just kind of familiarize your body with what it's like to feel hungry. Um, and you want to eat clean during that time, mostly plants. Make a plan for how you're going to incorporate times of prayer and worship. And, uh, and, then, and then once the day starts, stop eating. If you're doing a 24 to 30 hour fast, you really don't need very much preparation. Here is the key insight that will get you through a 30 hour fast. You're going to be hungry and that's okay. Like you're not going to die of starvation. So just don't give up. Uh, and if you have real concerns about whether or not you can survive a one-day fast, that's okay. Like, talk to your doctor and make sure it's okay. Drink water. Drink lots and lots of water. And if you're like me, you'll discover that bubble water makes you even more full. So lots of LaCroix in the fridge if it helps. One of the most important pieces of advice is this. If you accidentally cheat or blow it, don't give up. Just push the delete key on that snack and keep going. It's, it's so good to keep going instead of just giving up in shame. And so a good way to start, if you've never done it before, fast from lunch to lunch. Um, I love doing one-day fast with other people, so maybe get a few people together and say, let's all pray and fast together. Let's go to the prayer meeting on that day um, and, uh, and just see what God wants to do. Maybe do it with your life group. There is power and solidarity. 
Now, if you go for multiple days, you will feel hungry for the first three days. You will feel weak and grouchy and probably hangry. Um, and that's okay. Just keep pressing through, drink lots and lots of water. After the third day, your hunger will begin to feel, will begin to subside. You'll still feel weak, but you won't feel this ache where you just are desperate from food. And at this point, that's where you're gonna start realizing that rest is really important. So you gotta be realistic with your physical body. I think it's also important to know, to notice like what is the stage of life that you are in? There are, there are some really difficult life stages that might make it especially hard to be able to fast for a full week or more. Um, like if you have little kids in the house or something like that, that it's just, it's just really tough to be a parent and to feel very tired and checked out um, and hungry. Now, if you go beyond three days, by the sixth or seventh day, your body will have rid itself of a lot of the toxins. You may feel stronger and more alert at that point. And this is the sweet spot of fasting where you feel the best. Days six through 10 are the prime space. So if you're, if you're shooting for something, see if you can't get there. So tonight at 6 p.m., we are kicking off a week of prayer meetings. 6 a.m., 6 p.m. each day. And I wanna invite you to prayerfully consider joining us and sacrificing food for a day or for three days or for the week to invite the spirit to a larger capacity for more of the Father, setting this as a time to press into the things of God in a special and focused way. We're gonna be, like this week, life groups are, are not meeting because we're encouraging everybody to come to the prayer meetings each day. So come and join us right here at the portal um, for prayer, worship, and come hungry. And if all of this is new, and you've never done this before, you are in good company. Most of us are beginners. So let's learn to begin together. Amen?